welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. This uh, beautiful early morning here in Iowa. Still dark outside, so I really have no idea what the weather is. But hopefully the weather is better than it has been for the last week anyway. Um, But it's going to be a big day. Big day indeed. Today is May 2nd, and it's going to be the official launch of the new beta version of knockonarchery.com. So tonight at 8 central time on the Knock On TV Facebook page and possibly the Instagram live, uh, we will be live giving you a walkthrough and a demonstration of what the new platform is all about and how to navigate it and then uh, pretty much get everybody prepped, give everyone a few days to see how the website works, etc., Um, I'll post those videos um, to all the pages, and then uh, the plan is by Friday to actually go live where people can start jumping in and interacting. So this is going to be really, really cool. Uh, A ton's gone into this, and it's important that I mention this today because um, I'm going to jump into some podcast questions here that I've got some Q&As and I really thought it'd be important because some of these Q&As will actually be very relative to the way the new site will function, etc., which is really cool. But um, looking forward to this. Definitely have had a lot of help, Uh, a lot of help from my buddy Justin, uh, a lot of help from, from James and Sharon and Brad Iverson and... Bronco, and I've got a couple other guys out there that have uh, contributed um, with some of the cooking side. Um, My good buddy Dan has helped a lot with the artwork, but um, we're trying to give you guys a pretty decent look. There's so much content that's being loaded, and all of my older information, um, I think almost 4,000 pages, um, we've had to go through and actually... Uh, reproof and correct and change over to some new Google formatting, etc. Um, it's going to take us some time to uh, get a lot of the. There's a lot of new videos and stuff that's being editing edited now, and um, a lot of the totally new content will actually get loaded in once the full site goes live. Um, which our projection date is June 2nd for the full site, but it's important that all you guys. And gals, take control uh, of this thing earlier and and dive into this beta version because we need to make sure that all of you out there are helping us out and letting us know what you like, what you don't like, and all that good stuff. Um, That's what's really cool about this new website is the ability for you to be able to have a voice in um, what I'm doing as well as... um, types of products that we're going to be interacting with and all sorts of good things like that. So this is going to be really, really cool. I'm super excited about it. And um, I guess set your clock, eight o'clock central time tonight. 
um, May 2nd. So if you missed it then, and you're listening to this podcast later, then what I do is recommend going to the knockonarchery.com webpage or go to the Knock on Archery um, YouTube channel and watch the um, unveiling of the new Knock on digital platform. So this is going to be really cool. Um, it's also going to be a great podcast. I'm sure I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm being positive. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, I've kind of gone through here. I'm still picking through some of these great question and answers that all of you had, um, on a post that I made, uh, during the last podcast where I jumped into a lot of Q and A's. I'm still working my way through that. Um, so the first question I'm going to jump into here, um, got to make sure my brain's working good because this one's kind of in depth, um, is from Dan the Man, LaSage, and um, he's kind of um, asking about how to, or maybe he was commenting, I guess, but there was pretty much a comment on there asking specifically about um, the definition and describing what FOC is and the importance of FOC. And this is kind of a continual um, discussion in the archery community because um, FOC is really, it's um, a short def, uh, short term for front of center. And, you know, by, by definition, in the archery world anyway, um, FOC stands for front of center, and front of center deci- um, describes the percentage of the arrow's total weight that is located in the front half of the arrow. Um, there's an equation that factors this in. It's um, it's pretty much um, the, well the AMO standard um, formula is um, front of center equals. 100 times, um, and then you've got two things pretty much that you have to, you've got um, the distance from the bottom of the knock groove to the finished arrow balance position, so pretty much where your balance point is, um, so you've got that, and then also your total length of your arrow, um, so it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a crazy way of computing this, you know, it's 100 X. Um, and then in brackets you have the, you know, you pretty much have your a, which is your distance. Like I said, um, your distance a is, is really where your balance point is. Um, and then that's pretty much, uh, divided by your length as well. So, you know, you get this little calculating, um, you divide the arrow's um, overall length, the distance to the bottom of the knock groove. Uh, you find the balance point, and this is where the arrow balance is perfect. You can mark that. Um, you can mark that distance, and then you got to measure that from the throat of the knock. Subtract the center of the arrow's um, measurement, um, and you know if you really want to see this, then you got to multiply the resulting number. In step three by 100, um, then you divide uh, that resulting number by the arrow's overall length, and then it pretty much gives you a percentage. There's, if you Google FOC calculator, 
that's really the way to do it. It's the easiest way, and I'm sure Easton has it. But um, FOC balance is the balance position of the arrow. Um, it's one of the more important elements um, affecting the shape of the arrow's trajectory curve. Um, ideal FOC is especially critical for target shooters participating in long-range shooting uh, competitions, uh, especially when you get into the longer distances and distances um, where you have a lot more drift factoring. Um, it's important with broadheads too because there's a lot of people now that are starting to use much shorter fletchings for um, hunting situations. So with that factor, this FOC starts to really change um, how that arrow flies. And uh, this is this is pretty important because just recently, um, I mentioned Ryan Bronco earlier. Ryan and a couple other guys that came here um, for a shooting school weekend. And during that time, we were working on Ryan's bows and or Ryan's bow, and um, we were doing some slow motion videography, and we noticed. Um, the arrow flight on one of his particular arrow builds was pretty horrendous, to be honest. Sorry, Brian or Ryan. Um, and it would almost be worth showing that video because I might post that um, somewhere here soon. But uh, the importance of that is it really showed how FOC and an improper FOC causes an arrow to really start to come out of the bow pretty horrendous. And then also it'll start to change how that fletch um, actually starts to operate. Um, and, you know, like I just mentioned here, um, while FOC is less relevant in some bow hunting situations, it can be critical in others. Um, long range shots, shooting lower poundage bows, um, and then obviously with depending on your setup different trajectory issues at the different ranges um, it's generally accepted among archery experts that that higher foc um, does fly with you know does fly better but um, there are times where it actually um, will shed its trajectory and then actually cause that arrow to nosedive quicker and, um, you know, an arrow with low FOC um, will hold its trajectory better, um, but sometimes it can fly erratically. And that's what we saw um, with Ryan's bow is although the arrow did kind of, they still grouped fairly good. So we're talking, you know, the arrow still did relatively group good. It caused a very erratic arrow flight. And what happened was as that arrow came out of the bow, it had some very erratic bends in it. And then as soon as those bends worked their way out at about 20 yards, the arrow just immediately just the tail dropped and it just started to really lift almost like an airplane and go. And then as soon as it hit its apex, it just turned quick, almost like an evasive maneuver and then just dove down at that point. So that FOC was not optimal and out of that particular bow, especially with that cam type, um, it kind of really 
cause some issues. And, you know, when you have erratic aeroflight like that and you factor in a broadhead, which is trying to steer on the front, or you start to factor in um, wind, uh, both of those things will, you know, especially if you have an arrow that's lifting hard um, on the front, well, all of a sudden, if you have a very hard tailwind, obviously that's going to have super negative effects because more of the arrow is pretty much laying flat to, to be affected by the wind. Um, so in light of that, I actually want to just read an email um, that, or I want to read a conversation that I have had with um, my good buddy James Park um, down in Australia. James is, um, he's an amazing dude. Um, I don't think, I think he's got a doctorate in math. I could be wrong, but he's pretty much a certifiable genius in my opinion. But um, anytime I have any crazy archery concepts ticking around in my head, I run him by James, and he's one of the few people, him and George Tekmachov are pretty much the two people to where when it comes to actual mathematical equations or physics, um, those are the two dudes that I trust. And so I have done a lot of testing, and if you've been following some of the stuff that I've done, um, you know that I do a lot of trial and error, and I just did this uh, just the other day. I was doing trial and error because I'm switching to an Easton Axis 6mm shaft. Uh, it's an all-carbon. It's a 6mm, and what I liked about going to that arrow is that I now have the option to use a standard insert or the brass break-off inserts, which gives me the ability to shoot 50 or 75 grains in the front. So... I built up arrows um, with all those different types of recipes and then I took them out and uh, I shot those at my 80 yard target and I pretty much sighted in with the 50 grain brass but then I shot um, the standard brass and then I shot the heavier brass and I pretty much wanted to note how much difference there was in, in drop. And the difference between the standard insert and a 50 grain insert um, at 80 yards, um, the difference in drop was about nine inches. Um, and that is that is a fair amount, no question, especially if you're struggling to um, to get distances with your setup, you know, longer distances with your sight, you know, your your sight scale or your ability to move your sight up or down. Um, however, you know, when it comes to, you know, it's only about one or one and a half yards is what it was on my bow. So in other words, if I was sighted in at 80 with a 50 grain brass, I had to set my sight on, um, 88 and a half in order to hit dead center with the lighter insert, the heavier insert, the 75 grain. And the reason I haven't mentioned it is because, um, because of my draw length, I'm right on the bubble of, a 300 shaft being um, perfect spine-wise or a 300 shaft being too weak. And once I went to that 50 grain brass, I immediately noticed that my arrows were hitting much further left than, um, than the other two combinations. 
And what that's telling me is that shaft's starting to get too weak. And when it starts to hit way further out of the rest of the group, the groups normally will start to open up and starting to flatten out horizontally too. Um, so it just was an immediate indicator to me that the 75 grain brass was going to be too much. So I'm settling on the 50 grain brass um, and comparing my 50 grain brass in the all carbon shaft versus like a six millimeter FMJ, um, you're going to get a little bit more speed out of the all carbon shaft to begin with, which then allows you to put that extra weight in the front. That's what I really like about this shaft. And in years past, when I really wanted high FOC arrows, um, you know, especially for situations. And the reason I'm doing this is because I've got two hunts coming up. Um, I've got my spot and stalk bear hunt coming up. And then I've also got um, an axis hunt, um, spot and stalk axis hunt um, up in the mountains in Hawaii. So I'm kind of banking on the fact that some of my shots are going to have to be longer than a tree stand situation. And I'm really not certain at times up in BC, I've had to deal with high winds and I'm really not certain what kind of winds I'm going to deal with. I've heard that it can get really windy on the islands in Hawaii, which is good for spot and stock because it, it hides your movement, having everything blow around. But, um, you need to have a little bit higher FOC so you're not having to factor in as much with uh, your wind drift in situations. However, in saying all that, I want to get back to where I was trying to talk about um, regarding my conversation with James. Through different testings like what I'm describing now, um, I have found that there are times where arrows that don't have the recommended FOC. So, um, and what I mean by that is, for example, Easton says that they they really recommend arrows um, from 10 to 15 percent. A lot of experts will tell you 13 to 15 percent FOC, um, which you know on a target setup and especially long range setups like when you know I had to shoot 30, 50, 70, 90 meter stuff. Um, certainly those higher FOCs on target arrows definitely, definitely made a big, big difference. Um, that would go for shoots like if you're going out to Redding and stuff like that where you you know you're going to have longer shots, you're going to have to shoot through some canyons, you're going to have some tricky winds. That FOC is a big factor um, for not having you... Um, make a lot of mathematical decisions on how far you should aim off or how much you need to bubble, etc. But what I found in hunting situations with broadheads um, is that there's times where arrows that actually have a lower FOC have worked better for me. And overall, for the overall uh, picture, and especially on a nice day, actually perform a little bit better for me. So um, I'm going to read you this email that I actually sent James because I've done several different tests with this theory and I wanted to check this theory with James. Um, so my email to James is, um, I pretty much said, is there is there any way to make a quick drawing or something? Um, let's see here. Wait, I might. Let's hold on, hold on. Um Okay, 
let me see. I was reading that backwards. So, um, okay, I got to start right here. I had my email chain upside down. So um, I sent James this, this email and I said, I have a theoretical question. For most arrows, we prefer a higher FOC. And with broadhead flight, it can be tricky because there's so many variables. Variables. However, I've found that, arrow, that arrows with higher FOCs tend to have less change when I try different cam types. However, on an arrow like an ACC, where I'm limited on my point weight options or insert weight options and the FOC is lower, it seems like longer fletching starts to give more control again. And what I mean by that, um, for those of you listening, is what I found is arrows with with lower FOC. Um, and what I'm talking about is if I have an arrow with a lower FOC and I have an arrow with a high FOC, both of these arrows are comparable. What I found is that the lower FOC arrow, because the because of the front point, is not having so much control that. With that lower FOC, you're giving more control back to the to the fletching. Um, so in those cases, would it be possible that the lower FOC, within reason, you know, I'm talking within reason of like this ACC combination, not within reason of like what Bronco shot. Um, is it possible that with the lower FOC, it actually allows the fletch to take over more control than the design of that broadhead, thus giving it more accuracy. So in other words, if you have a an arrow where you, the broadhead um, is really starting to plane and you have broadheads just flying you know, way different than your field points, there's been times where I found that using an arrow with a lower FOC and then being able to put a longer fletch on there actually allows the fletch to take more control over than the point. And keep in mind, I do know that if you put a longer fletch on any arrow, it's going to have more control versus a short one. I'm talking specifically about an arrow with high FOC with a long fletch versus an arrow with low FOC with long fletch. The low FOC arrow with the long fletch in many cases for me has actually shot more accurately and brought field points more close or field points and broadheads uh, together. So to conclude that email to Jim, I said, essentially, I have a thought uh, that a that a hunter may want a FOC more like a target archer. uh, 12 to 14 percent when using a mechanical head, but. They have a fixed blade design um, that will actually fly better with a lower FOC and thus allow more control of a broadhead um, and get it grouping with your field points. So James's response to me um, and you know his responses to me always come from a very mathematical and physics-related response, which is, and I have to give James credit for. Um, many of the things that I've talked about through the years, uh, James and I have worked together, you know, on different little thoughts and theories. And he shared a lot of, um, a lot of the early, um, ballistic charting that I did with X tens, 
um, versus Pro Tours versus all other diameter shafts. Um, there's a considerable amount of information, wind drift calculations, ballistic loss, ballistic efficiencies, all kinds of crap like this that we've done. Um, and James was really the one that, all, that I always pretty much exercise these thoughts with. Um, so his response is, we have two things of importance. One is the center of mass of the arrow, which is C-O-M. The other is the center of pressure of the arrow, so C-O-P. The center of mass, C-O-M, is just the F-O-C, um, so it's pretty obvious. The center of pressure, the C-O-P, um, is all of the, very, the various contributions to the arrow's aerodynamic drag. If the center of pressure is behind the center of mass, which is normal, the arrow will be dynamically stable. As the difference between the center of mass and the center of pressure increases, the fletches are able to correct the arrow more quickly. Usually, that is easy to accomplish, accomplish because for the target arrow, the point is about one-third of the mass of the arrow, and hence the center of mass is forward of center, um, while due to the fletch drag of the center of pressure is rear of center. With a broadhead, the center of pressure will move forward because of the extra drag from the broadhead. It can be brought back by using more fletching. Hence, your comment that an arrow with a high FOC tend to have less change as you change things does seem logical. Similarly, more fletch helping with arrows with a low front of center makes very good sense. I would, it would also help to have a broadhead design um, that gives you lower drag. Um, P.S. It is important not to just think of drag, although I have used that term in my above notes. There's also considerable aerodynamic lift from the fletchings and the broadheads to factor in. However, the center of mass and the center of uh, pressure relationships essentially works the same. So that is a super mind-blowing um, little FOC talk for you guys out there. And that kind of gives you a little bit more understanding of, you know, this is one thing people continually try to um, give me these little, uh, which arrows should I use? And honestly, that's why I continually keep saying I can give you a generalized answer. If you're wanting me to give you, you know, a hundred percent guru uh, of an answer, it's not that easy, and this is why when I do custom builds for people, which I know I'm going to be doing another uh, build for one of my buddies here coming up, and he's really wanting, he's really considering uh, which, he's considering going to a heavier arrow, and he's considering some different arrow options, and honestly, the amount of work that goes into that isn't as simple as just saying, Hey, I want to try this arrow. I mean, I understand, you know, there's a lot of times I want to try one arrow too, but you have to get that arrow, 
you have to shoot that arrow and if it's not shooting absolutely tack drive and accuracy then at that point you have to realize your best guess wasn't necessarily um, the best option then you have to start playing around you have to start playing with different fletches different points um, doing it all at the same time ends up putting too much equation um, into that and or too much into that equation and it starts to really get confusing fast so I always really like to fall back on the rule of thumb of just do one thing at a time I picked my arrow I know what spine I need luckily so I pretty much went with the fletching choice that I think I'm going to most likely use. And then I shot all the same fletching choices on an arrow that then had diff just different point weights. Once I see how that works if or see which of those work the best, which I think what I'm going to do is I'm, I've actually decided I'm going with the 50 grain brass with a 100 grain uh, Rage Tripan. And... With that combination, now what I'll do is I'll I'll shoot that quite a bit at, a, at the longest distance I feel comfortable. And um, if by chance I see that maybe I'm not shooting as good as I really, really think that I should, then at that point I'll try some different fletches. But I don't, I don't really think um, that I need to at this point. Um, so that's that. Um, Let's see, Dan the Man, and I think it was a Villa 2010. Um, both of you guys were on that subject. Um, so the next question here is from Katie Miller 56. Um, is asking the question, will the older black and white X-Press work on the Carbon Defiant? The older X-Press won't work on uh, the new Carbon Defiance and Pro Defiance um, just because of the way the limbs are pretty much beyond parallel they're over arced um, and those limbs if you if you try to press them you have to press right in the dead center of the limbs and and it's just not safe for the limbs the older style expresses is pretty much good for any of the bows that are before that carbon defiant time or some of the you know older style limb designs or um, you know like if you have an elite or something like that then it'll certainly work now, there are some people doing some slight modifications to them um, just so that it pushes on the limbs in the correct spots. So you might maybe do a little research on that. Um, I actually have an older style X-Press that's in really good shape um, that I'm going to sell, but I don't want to have to ship the thing. So if there's anyone in the relative, relatively close to the Des Moines, Iowa area um if you want a good older style express on a stand send me a private message uh, i'll sell it for 300 bucks with the stand so um yep that's the answer katie appreciate the question um let's see here uh okay this uh question is from pistol pete pistol pt um so uh, I actually had seen this question. Um, he's asking specifically, he says, I stopped weight training a couple years ago, doing a lot of surfing with no heavy lifting, um, and maybe my elbow just needs a break. Um, 
but he oh sorry this is he kind of got in a conversation with um with someone else but he's pretty much saying he was dealing with uh tendonitis on his elbow after um consistent target practice um using a compression sleeve to help relieve the pain but it can be tough to pull through his shots He's been laying off uh, for his bow for a few weeks, but the pain starts to develop after flinging a few arrows. Um, and uh, one of my good buddies, uh, Joseph, actually made a comment uh, to try to help Pete and had asked him if he was familiar with a wrist roller um, because it really helps uh, mitigate elbow tendonitis, um, which is a good tip for people that are struggling with that. Um, with that but what i will tell you is um we actually did a little discussion on this with lucy um in a previous podcast i had bailey smith and lucy o'sullivan on the podcast and lucy struggled with the pain in her elbow and once i made a few corrections to her form her pain literally was gone in a matter of a few days um, I think she was here maybe four days or so, and by the time she left, it was gone. Um, so your front elbow position and also your rear elbow position, depending on where you have them, I mean, you are bearing load if you're shooting archery. So with any of your joints, if you're bearing load in a way that is not in a natural position, um, you're really going to risk having some pain or you know some aches come into play Um, so that's why my teaching method in my opinion um, is so important because I focus so much on structure and utilizing natural anatomy and natural bone alignment and um, anatomy alignment to where you're not having impingements or you're not risking extra pressures on tendons that can cause a lot of this. Now, in saying that, Pistol Pete, you are a perfect example um, because I kind of scrolled through some of these questions to see exactly how many I could answer um, during this podcast. When I saw you ask this question specifically about that, I actually trolled your social media. And in trolling your social media, you have some very cool pictures however you do not have any pictures of you shooting and so at that point you pretty much take my ability completely away to tell you um, what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong so this is where I'm going to give you the first little hint drop the first little easter egg at one of the big components of the new web platform The new new web platform is going to give you the capability to have that information sitting and waiting for me. So if by chance um, your question does get picked for a podcast or a video live feed or anything like that, you're going to have the ability to have that information sitting in a database for me to immediately pull up and utilize and be able to discuss with you things that I see or things that I think could possibly help you or things that are hurting you. Obviously, you're going to have the ability to to let me know whether or not I can share that photo. Um, however, that is a huge component to this, and it's um, there's a considerable amount of back-end work that's been done by um, the team here to 
get this whole thing started. And this is going to be really, really cool. Um, it's literally going to give us this unlimited ability to function as a community um, and really um, work on archery, learn archery, and evolve in archery um, with instant visualization, instant feedback. Um, so one thing I'll tell you is hyperextension in the front elbow is going to cause tendonitis. Um, if you're drawing your bone away to where you're utilizing bicep to pull more so than, you know, if your elbow is lower than your shoulder as you pull back, and I'm actually videoing this uh, podcast right now, which is going to be one of the uh, benefits to those who are um, within certain memberships. You're going to have the ability to watch um, the podcast on a video. Um, today I'm actually just sitting in my office, so you know there's not a whole lot going on other than the fact that I'm I'm showing people uh, on the camera arrow flight characteristics. Or right now, as I'm talking about drawing, they're actually getting to see how I'm doing this moving forward. I'll be able, you know, once I'm in the school uh, filming these video podcasts, um, especially when I do the private video podcasts for certain member levels. Um, you'll be able to actually see what I'm doing, but I'm more or less as I'm drawing my bow, if your elbow is below the shoulder, you start to utilize the bicep more so than the back and the rear delt. And in that position, you'll start to create some tendonitis on the pulling elbow. Now on the front, if you're hyperextended, so your elbow is up and you have a straight front arm, you'll put a tremendous amount of pressure on uh, that front elbow. Now, how much that elbow starts to um, starts to absorb, or um, I guess start to to kind of transfer that vibration and frequency that your bow produces when you fire it. You know, your front arm's like a tuning fork, and the bow is the end of that tuning fork. And what happens is when you shoot, and your string comes towards the riser. You know, the string and riser come together and that frequency kind of goes from the tops and the bottoms of the bow and it rings down through it. The string's vibrating and it pretty much sends that vibration right out the end of the stabilizer. If you have a stabilizer that doesn't have a suppression unit on the end, then that vibration then rings back through the body. Um, so your bow design and your stabilizer design really um, start to factor into how your body is absorbing that vibration. Bows of the past where the risers were fairly straight and the limbs were fairly straight, when they came forward like this, um, it was like a catapult. So they, they literally came and they stopped more at the top. So there was a lot of forward motion on your bow as it fired versus now where your limbs are, are you know they're arced and they're beyond a lot of the tar, um, hunting bows are beyond parallel when they when they get pulled back the limbs barely bend and when they fire they just go up and down so they literally one limb shoots high one shoot limb shoots low and they cancel each other Whereas before they would catapult forward. 
So depending on your bow design, you could be transferring a lot more energy into your arm than um, than what you than what you could be doing if you had a more current bow or a you know probably a a, a bow system that has less vibration. So um, back in the day when I shot some of the the very first bows, like when I shot, uh, I remember when the Matthews Signature came out. Um, the signature was kind of their first target bow. It had a long riser and had you know long limbs, but it was very and it was a deflex style design, um, which a lot of people thought deflex bows were always more forgiving. Um, and really, they just the deflex bows gave you a little bit more brace height. Um, but those bows would launch forward. I remember one time I was um, at Jeff Hopkins' house. We were training uh, for a for an ASA event, I think in Virginia, maybe it was in Roanoke. We were going to drive there there together, and I flew in early to train with him. And Jeff had just switched from Bear Jennings over to Matthews at that time, and Jeff had won. Um, Jeff had won more. T- ASA tournaments than anyone at that point. He was kind of the biggest uh, prize prize winner in 3D archery, pro archery, and it was all with this um, this Bear Jennings Omnicam that he had. And it was kind of one of those bows where if you shot 3Ds, you knew Jeff's bow just by seeing it because it was always in pictures. And you know he shot the he wasn't one to change equipment a lot. He had the same bow. So I go to Jeff's house. We were out, we were actually standing at the edge of his carport. I just got there, and we were just kind of putting our bows together and starting to shoot. So I kind of undid my bow case, and um, right as I undid my bow case, I looked up and like mounted up on his above, uh, kind of above his worktop and stuff in his garage was old faithful his old faithful bow and i i go oh man is that is that the infamous bear jennings and he's like yep that's it that's it right there and i said oh man that's cool and then as i said that the his phone rang so jeff goes grab it dude grab it the arrows are right over there in the windowsill and i go okay so i grabbed the arrows out of the windowsill and meanwhile, uh, back then the phones still had cords on them; they weren't cordless. And Jeff went in the house and he was talking on the phone. And then he kind of came to the door, and the cord was about maxed out. And he kind of was like, kind of gesturing, like, you know, shoot it, shoot it out the, you know, take a shot. So I'm standing at the end of Jeff's uh, carport with this bow that's like old faithful. I load an arrow up and. Literally, as I load an arrow, Jeff turns around to like kind of head back into the house as he's talking to whoever he was talking to. And I draw that sucker back and put that pin on that target. And I started pulling on the release. And when that thing went off, it felt like a damn, I don't know. It, I mean, it felt like literally like a tuning fork with a 20 foot bungee cord attached to it. 
that thing launched out of my hand and old faithful was just somersaulting and ass over tea kettle right down his driveway and i'm sitting there running behind it trying to like grab it before it just totally blows apart and literally i grab the thing on the last bounce and i'm kind of looking at it making sure i haven't like chipped the cams or the limbs or nothing and i just started dusting that thing off and kind of as i turned around and started walking back in the garage with it and see jeff always shot a wrist sling if you look back to old photos of us shooting back in the 90s Everybody had finger slings or wrist slings, and the reason was is because those bows just launched. And I was so used to at the time shooting a, a you know more parallel limb bow. Um, you know, once like the uh, perimeter weighted technology cams and stuff like that started coming out, you just didn't deal with that. So I mean, even now, I don't really have to shoot with the wrist sling because you don't have that. But if you have an older model you definitely run the risk of having a lot of that vibration. And that vibration um, definitely transfers right into your front elbow first. And depending on your front shoulder, a lot of people who compress that front shoulder or drive that front shoulder back, um, either one of those two things, you'll start to absorb that vibration in those areas. Um, Which is why I still... I'm not a fan of um, stabilizers that just have solid weights on. I really like suppression. I think putting some type of a doinker device on your bow and allowing the weight of your stabilizer to dissipate um, or the the weights that are on the end of a suppression unit, like a doinker unit or something. Um, my fuse, ha- you know, the, all my fuse stabilizers. I'm still shooting a lot of the older fuse stabilizers just because I really loved the suppression units that were on them. And then I put my weight out there so that vibration literally channels through the the rod. And then as soon as it hits that rubber piece, that weight on the end just kind of flutters out that last little bit and it doesn't radiate back through your entire body. So Pistol Pete, um, you definitely have some cool looking picks, dude. Um, doing your yoga moves, um, catching crayfish, actually you holding big fish up. I struggled so bad with tendonitis in my right arm, in my right elbow. And it was from years of pulling heavy poundage bows because at Matthews, there's only a few of us that could ever, um, and I'm mentioning Matthews just because I'm talking about, 10 years ago when I worked there um, or from 20 years ago to 10 years ago, but there was only a few people in the factory that could build the safari bows, which were the hundred pounders. And I was one of them. So, you know, every time we'd build those boat, you know, you'd take it out of a press, the bow builders, you have to pull it back. You have to check cam position. Then it's never right the first time. So you let it down. So a lot of times you end up pulling a bow back five, 10 times to build a bow. So, Obviously, add up the numbers, it goes up pretty quick. But um, holding big things up with your arm, like the way I'm looking at you hold these fish up, um, honestly, if that were my right arm, especially before I had um, before I had my stem cell injections, since I've done since I went to um, to Dr. Roddy McGee in Las Vegas and got the stem cell injections, I've totally healed. Um, what I thought was permanent damage 
in my elbows. So I definitely want to give credit to him, but um, I'm going to show the live years here. Yeah, when you're holding up fish like that with your right arm, you're going to develop tendonitis in there for sure. So uh, super cool fish, dude, holding up some massive fish, but um, all these crazy big fish are holding up using that inner tendon on your bicep connecting especially where it goes down through to your forearm you're going to feel that just like if you're if you do a lot of pull-ups with your palms facing forward puts a lot of pressure there um you know or you know hammer curls specifically tons of hammer curls will do that to you too um so you kind of got to watch that but um let's see here i'm going to see um Let's see, I've got a question here from Dylan Baca. Um, Dylan's asking, what's your favorite shot? Um, mainly shot angle. Broadside, quartering two, or quartering away? So definitely not a fan of a quartering two shot. Um, quartering away is really, for a lot of animals, is the best option. Um, because you are you have one, um, you know, if you're further right or further left, that that area is, is bigger. You've got a bigger killing area. So even if you go in further back than what you'd ever want to, you're still going to clip quite a, quite a bit going forward. Um, and then also you kind of really avoid the shield or the main scapula plate um, on like hogs. That, that big defense shield is near impossible on a full... Uh, a full-grown boar so being able to get behind that shield is really really important and you know also if you have a really big animal like an elk or something like that um, you have the ability to to avoid that you know that elbow Um, you're if you have that quartering shot if you hit that elbow you're almost guaranteeing that you're not even within the cavity um, but if you're anywhere from that elbow back, really from the elbow almost back t- to the stomach area, if the angle's hard enough, you're going to get a ton of vitals going through. Um, I actually made a shot um, that I'm not super proud of, but it was a very um, a super angled shot in one of the earlier uh, seasons of Knock On. I shot a moose, and I was caught up in the moment. The moose had came in. We had been hunting like several days doing a lot of call and never saw one finally had a moose come in and it was and actually i went on this trip on just a last minute call um to get this moose tag and when i when i got there uh the you know we had hunted quite a bit this was the only moose that came in he came in and then he kind of started to smell us so he kind of started to work his way away and I was at full draw for quite a while, and he turned, and he was angling really hard. And I took the shot, and I actually went in behind the stomach, almost like more in the... Well, I went in, I think I went in through through the back leg. But because I was shooting a super heavy arrow, I was shooting a 600-grain arrow out of an 80-pound Hoyt, um, I actually went all the way buried to the knock, and it it literally looked like I you know the the angle was really hard. It was beyond quartering away. It was kind of between quartering away and yeah, it was a full quartering away as hard as you could quarter is what it was because I could still see the you know the front shoulder and stuff. But I went in you know th- 
through that back, the main back quarter, and I could just see the knock sticking out. And honestly, I know a lot of people um, who watched it were were uh, skeptical of the recovery, but that elk went literally less than a hundred yards and was done. And it was because I was able to, because I didn't hit any bone, uh, a shoulder plate or a leg or anything like that, or even those big freaking ribs, I literally just went through all of, you know, everything that you would pull out during field dressing. And it just went through there like a hot knife through butter. And, and the point of my arrow, I had a, you know, 29 and a half inch arrow had stopped pretty much just right at the back edge of the liver. And it just, it just destroyed it. So, um, that was, that's my preferred angle. Now, one thing I'll say that I know I'll catch some crap over, but, um, I wrote about this in Peterson's is if you're on the ground and if you're close, I actually, um, I have had a lot of success with frontal shots. I know frontal shots are a big debate and, you know, I did an elk article last year and as a sidebar, I kind of just talked about that debate. Um, some of the most cleanest and quickest, um, shots I've ever taken with a bow have been frontal shots. They've always been when I'm on the ground level with that shot. I don't like that shot at all from an elevated position because, you know, if you have, if you have a frontal, if you have a frontal animal and then you're trying to shoot down at an angle like this, you know, if that angle, if the animal drops its head to spin out, you can, I mean, a lot can go wrong, but a frontal shot, like the biggest muley I've ever shot, um, and several actually, um, one of the elk that's here in the office, um, I shot both of those inside of seven yard, inside of 10 yards. So at seven yards, both of them, um, straight frontal and it was devastating. Um, so, but you really need to do your research on that. And again, you have to be level with them on the ground. Um, let's see the last question. Um, well, there, I'll, I'll do two more questions here. Uh, the last or the second to last question is, do you shoot? This is from Jason underscore Goodman 71s asking, do you shoot lighter poundage on turkeys? Um, I personally don't shoot lighter poundage on turkeys, but um, I know that you certainly can, especially if you're shooting a fixed blade head. Um, you know, if turkeys, the thing with turkeys is if they fly off or if they just start running, even if you hit them in the vitals, gets really hard to see them, especially depending on the types of terrain you're hunting them in. So with turkeys, if you're shooting a fixed blade head, it's not a bad idea to have that head stay in there because as they're running, it's grinding around and doing more damage. Um, however, what I will say is turkeys do absorb a tremendous amount of energy. Like if I think um, back in the day you know, we probably had, you know, our natives probably, if they would have had um, decent bows to practice with in camp and they weren't wanting to lose arrows, they probably would have used a turkey uh, hanging by a string for like a bag target because turkeys, their feathers and everything, and the fact that they're light on their feet, they absorb a tremendous amount of um, 
of energy. And I've seen turkeys to where, you know, you're shooting a bow. I've shot bows with over 80 foot pounds of energy coming out of the bow and at 20 yards hit that wing butt dead center and literally just almost fold the whole wing over and the whole bird picks up and flips off the ground but because they're so light on their feet it just it literally absorbed it like like a pillow fight so if you're shooting mechan or a fixed blade head, I would say lower poundage is is good, um, you know. But and also, I think having that arrow stay in there really helps for um, preventing them from being able to fly correctly, which is a benefit. When I shot my mouth tab, um, I, sh- I think I shot five turkeys with my mouth, and I was shooting low poundage. I, I think I shot everywhere from forty up to fifty-five pounds is what I was shooting, and um, I passed through several of them. I was shooting, I forget what I was shooting for broadhead. I thought I shot a rage hypodermic. Passed through several, but also stuck in several. But either way, um, I I went five for five, um, and like I said, I wasn't shooting very high poundage at all. So if you can shoot poundage, I would say shoot the poundage and then just go to a heavier arrow. Um, if you're wanting to just slow things down or keep that, try to keep that arrow in the bird, just go to a heavier arrow or a bigger cut broadhead, something that just, you know, dissipates energy a lot better. Um, let's see. The last question I've got here is from KH, KH Bowhunting is asking, um, targets, let, let them know targets that can withstand micro diameter arrows, um, says it loves his Glendale buck, but the deep sixes are um, punching out the rear about three inches at 60 pounds. So there's a couple things there. One, there's different quality levels of Glendale buck or, you know, the, the Glendale buck targets. Some of them are much narrower than others. Obviously, the real big one is going to give you a lot more um, area. Um, but micro diameters arrows are going to do what they're supposed to do, and that's produce a lot of penetration um they're going to penetrate well so i really you know i really try to move my aiming spots around on my targets uh otherwise if you're just there's a couple things one i don't really like shooting arrows at the same target all the time um you know especially if you're inside of 50 yards it's just just from a safety point of view it's not the best having multiple target spots up there you know, I know that, you know, mentally you want to like learn to aim at the right spot, like say my elk that's down there at 80 yards, but I've also got a mule deer that's down there at 90 yards. And there's times where when I've had that mule deer close, you know, I might shoot for the ASA 12, but then my second arrow I'll shoot for, um, you know, I'll shoot an upper 12, then I'll shoot for a center 12, then I'll shoot for a lower 12, or I may shoot it like, um, a seam or there's been times where maybe you've seen targets that I've had where I've got like black dots on their butts. Um, I'll just utilize as much fresh foam as I can and, you know, not shooting multiple arrows into the same spot really helps prevent you pulling full chunks out of the target, which is going to be a problem passing through. Um, however, in saying all that, one thing that I'll tell you is, um, with, with any type of target, um, one of the coolest targets that I shot when I was in Europe a lot was the Danish target. 
And what makes the Danish target so good is um, what they call their power stop. And the power stop is literally like a mat that suspends off the back of the target. And it's pretty much held on there. Um, you know, with there's two pins that go in the top of the target. And there's a small little, small little piece of bungee cord, um, maybe only about two or three inches long, that connect that, you know, that almost like that curtain. Um on the back of the target so as the arrow hits goes through the target fast it hits that mat and the mat almost acts just like what i said with the turkey it's light so it it kind of pushes out and it just it really starts to dissipate that last little bit of energy um so if you're having troubles she did some different spots in the foam all that good stuff. Um, big day, everyone. I've got to roll right now because it's cracking daylight. It's actually daylight out. And um, I've got a few things that I have to film for for our presentation tonight. i got to get that done, um, which actually everything I'm filming and the pictures I'm taking are going to be relative to all of you out there. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Make sure you please, please, please share you don't know how important it is for you to, um, even on Instagram, double tap. If you like it, um, the more people that use, you know, especially now with the new Instagram, uh, the new Instagram, if you are following uh, me or someone else for that matter, if you're following and uh, you're not actually liking what you're seeing, then it doesn't keep us uh, fresh in your feed. So I know that although I've got followers all around the world, if you're kind of getting to the point where you don't double tap uh, a post or share a post, um, then what starts to happen is you just fall into the abyss of all the other followers you've got. So double tap and please share. Um, super important. And can't thank of all of you enough. Make sure you tune in tonight. 8 o'clock Central Time. Appreciate everyone out there. Appreciate all you truck drivers putting in some hard miles on the road. Uh, and uh, get out and shoot your bows today, my friends. Knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>